Welcome, I'm Momoko, and this is Roots to Fruit. I have a fundamental belief that in order to bear our richest, juiciest fruit, we are best served to nurture our roots. Roots to Fruit is a series of conversations with my friends near and far to explore whether this is a shared belief. It is 2022, February 12th at 11.25 a.m. here in Tokyo, and I think it's around six degrees Celsius. It's a really sunny day, but much needed because it actually snowed yesterday. <laughs> Today, I have the great, great privilege of speaking with Michelle. Hello. Hi, Mamoko. It's Michelle. <laughs> Where are you? Where are you joining us from? I'm joining from Los Angeles, California, and it is almost 6.30 p.m., and today it was about 80 degrees, so the sun was shining. Last night, I could actually see the stars, and no. I was like, that really is unique in Los Angeles. Yeah, no, absolutely, and especially after like all of those fires, it's so nice to get some clear sky. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, let's jump right into it. Can you share a little bit about your ancestral roots and your cultural heritage? Yeah. So my roots um, pretty much go back to my hometown, which is Brownsville, Texas. And that's where I grew up my whole life and until I was 18 and moved out to Los Angeles to pursue my dreams of becoming an actor. And then I turned into a puppeteer. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, my dad tells the stories of his father's side of the family, how it, it dates back to like the early 1700s. There was a land grant called the Espiritu Santo land grant. And my ancestors came to Brownsville, Texas, what we know now, but at the time it was Mexico. A lot of my heritage comes from Brownsville, Texas, which is all I know really. And, you know, a lot, a lot of my, my other grandparents came from Mexico. Um, but for the most part, I, I always say, like, you know, we, we, we were there when it was Mexico before it turned into Texas. I think there was a lot of pride, probably, that knowing that their ancestors came from Spain to land here. And, and but then, you know, uh, my grandmother's their family roots are from Mexico. And I, I think back home in Texas, you know, predominantly it, it's mostly Latinos um, that live in the region and it's a border town. So there's a border and there is that other part of us that, you know, associates with crossing the border, you know, mm -hmm. and the people that are of the other side of the border and how we, how we uh, view them. Do you know how your father knows this information? 1700s is quite a long time ago to know where, you know, where your lineage lies. Yeah, I think in every family there is a historian, a person that <laughs> goes to the library and just digs and digs and digs. And I have one of those in my family. And so there is a document that my dad sent me and it is like, oh my gosh, from like 1835, 1700s. And it lists like all the names and it's it's so interesting i'm looking at it on my phone right now <laughs> it's really hard to read look at look at that it's just like oh, so wow. old okay. and like yeah. <laughs> really like 
teeny really tiny. Like you have to really zoom in to see a name. Yeah, really fine um, print and many creases. Mm-hmm. Many creases. <laughs> exactly. Growing up in Brownsville, were you surrounded by other people of similar heritage, meaning people where the border crossed them, really? Yes. Yeah, definitely. A lot of my friends and you know, people that I, I grew up with uh, had similar stories of, you know, my my ancestors. Well, my great 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 grandparents lived here. This is this is where we grew up. This is this is um, you know what what we know. And it's 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 in a unique and beautiful town because it's a border town, but it's also right by a, an island in the Gulf of Mexico. So it's so beautiful growing up there, being able to you know fish the waters and swim in the, in the, in the ocean. I, I recently went back this past year um, because my grandmother passed away and I, I wanted to reconnect and be able to see family and it was the safe time to do it. So when I did, I, um, I went into the ocean and I kind of just like on the sand, I just did a grito for her because she always loved when I did that for her. And to me that connected me to the water that connected me to the land that connected me to my ancestors in a way that was so powerful. And I really let it rip because I was like really feeling it. And I, I posted it on my Instagram so you could see that grito. For those people around the world who don't know what grito is, can you explain a little bit more about like what it is, its origins, yes. how it happens? So a grito is a yell that, you know, happens, um, Usually when you're listening to some mariachi music or some ranchero music or tejano music, and there's something about the music that just compels you so much to give a yell of excitement, of pure like energy. And and every, every grito I've ever heard that I'm like, yes, is filled with so much life and so that's that's the power of a grito. Mm, 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 mm. Right. It's like something that you can't hold within your physical body anymore. It has to be released. Exactly. It's just you're so moved by the music, the moment, everything, where you just are in a in a, a place of purging, of releasing, of having a cathartic moment to just let it all go. Mm. Yeah. Being in this border town, were families severed in similar ways that like a Berlin Wall severed families or, you know, North and South Korea severed families? Were there families on either side for, for oh, yeah. you or other people? Yes, not for me, but for many other people. Yes, the there's a lot of, you know, stories, I'm sure, of all kinds of of families that were, you know, split up or some were here and somewhere across and going and visiting. Living in a border town is so unique because everybody kind of, we all are of the same heritage and we look, um, for the most part, you know, majority of us, you know, we all kind of connect in a way that is is unique. We have a huge family, <laughs> like, like nine aunts and uncles on one side and about 30 cousins, like total or something. <laughs> we um, supported each other and I think we created our own our own little world. Growing up, I didn't think like being a puppeteer was 
a way to make a living or something to aspire to because it wasn't like the the professions that I saw were my parents and that's the very first um, introduction into a job uh, that I got which was my both of my parents are school teachers and they were school teachers their whole life my mom taught kindergarten her whole life and uh, and my dad you know he bounced around but he he uh, pretty much was uh, a school teacher educator. You know, you had just mentioned that becoming a puppeteer is not something that ever really crossed your mind as an occupation. How did you come to this place of expression? When I graduated high school, um, I knew I wanted to come to Los Angeles. Uh, I was heavy into theater. I actually played the French horn for seven years. Um, I I overprepared myself for college. I really did. I did everything. (laughs) Um, if you, if you unearth my, my, uh, high school yearbook, you'll see. (laughs) So then eventually it, it, it was a thing I had to ask myself in, in senior year, like, what do I want to focus on? And it was, my heart always kind of, uh, gravitated to the stage and to theater. And I always loved being on stage. It just gave me so much, so much energy. And I just felt at home, um, so when I graduated, I knew I wanted to go to Los Angeles. So I did. And I went to Cal State Los Angeles and I studied theater, a lot of experimental theater. So a lot of fun, <laughs> uh, physical theater. And then that summer, there was nothing to do really in the theater department. It went dark and I was just doing my GE courses and I was just feeling like, oh, I need something to do. And I walked into the scenic shop at the theater department and there was one guy there and he said, well, if you want, you can use all the tools. I'll teach you all the tools. You could come in here every day and make stuff. And I said, whoa, I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. So I went in and I took him up on that offer and he taught me all the tools, safety and how to do everything. And then one morning that summer, I woke up and I just had like an epiphany. I don't know what I dreamed about. I just know that I woke up and I just, I just, it was clear. It was like, I want to make a puppet. I want to make a puppet. I want to make a puppet. So I just walked over to the scenic shop and I, it just came out of my mouth. Like I want to make a puppet. (laughs) And then he said, okay. And he just found some foam at the top. Uh, I just remember him going upstairs and throwing down a block of foam and I just grabbed it and I went to a belt sander and I, I don't know how to make a puppet. <laughs> and I remember trying to sculpt a head of some sort and the foam on a belt sander, if you know what those two things can do, the foam literally like shot out of my hand and it went across the shop all the way. It bounced all over the place. And I said, oh my gosh, maybe I should look up how to make a puppet on my flip phone. <laughs> So that's how it started. It started with me just listening to a little, a little dream, a little voice, something inside me that was guiding me. And I listened to that. And from then on, I just kept listening to that voice and just constantly going after that because it was clear and it was a little whisper. But later after going back home to Texas, my mom showed me all these home VHS tapes of me and my sister doing all kinds of things, uh, uh, videos. And so many of them have puppets, like where I was puppeteering my dolls and, and made me realize like, wow, I have been a puppeteer my whole life. I have been doing this my whole life. It's just never was a thing that I, I thought I could do for a living. 
Wow. And so in those home videos, you know, you're puppeteering your your stuffed animals or your dolls. Did you not have recollection of that prior to watching them? You know, I did because I remember like there was bits throughout my life of handing in school projects (laughs) and they would just leave it open-ended. Like you could write something, you could draw something, you could you could sing a song. And I always found a way to create a stop motion animation VHS tape of uh, the Battle of the Alamo (laughs) and turn it in. And I remember handing in a a VHS tape and being like, oh, maybe I went a little too far. Uh, (laughs) This is, this, this took a lot of production. And my mom had like uh, little voices in in my, in my little film. It was hilarious. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. You really took like everything to the max. Yeah, I did. And I still do. And (laughs) I really did. I I pushed myself. And I think, you know, that carries through um, in the work that I do now. But I definitely learned that from my mom. I just recently connected the dots. She was a school teacher and I would finish up every day at, at school. And she, she loved making things. Um, she was an artist in, in college. And of course, she found a way to express herself when the kids would leave, she would decorate the stages. So every month, she would go into the cafeteria, and she would go to the stage, and she would just have all kinds of colors of butcher paper, pretty much what was in the teacher's lounge butcher paper, tape, scissors. And she would create these whole worlds. Like literally kids would come the next day and it was like they were walking to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, like on the stage. It was just like this amazing jungle of paper and characters and creatures. And um, I just connected the dots like this year that I was with her the whole time, helping her after school, late at night, we would be the last ones to leave the school sometimes on those days. And we finished it. So I'm definitely like, I learned how to complete and finish uh, an artistic project from her. Wow. Well, not just start and finish, but really create another world. Yeah, definitely. And just being scrappy and using what you have around you to, to create something that you know, is magical and wasn't here before. Mm. And that kismet meeting with the guy in the scenic department. Is, I know. Is, are you still connected to him? Does he know I, how much he has? This is a weird question because he literally just called me today and said, hey, I want. I haven't talked to you in a while. Let's catch up. And so, yeah, I definitely still keep connected with him because we have this knowing that that was the origins of Viva La Puppet. And, yeah. and my my career pretty much. Your sense of visual expression and being scrappy and following through. I mean, all of that clearly very much comes from your from your mother. Where does your sense of voice and expression through the belly into your <laughs> lungs, into your you know, throat come from? Where does that come from? Good question. A lot of the way I express myself with my body and my voice, it comes from me really trying and, and the, the yearning to tap back into the beautiful years that I had as a kid with being so free, being so artistically free with my sister, just playing. Like so much of what I, I hope to do in, 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 in 
my work and how I express myself um, is really just trying to capture that magic that was being a kid and just playing and being so free to just create a, a video on a VHS camcorder with my sister where I said, let me get this, let me get that, let's do this, how about this? Just just, just collaborating in, in a way that is fun. <laughs> really just allowing myself to uh, operate from that place of freedom. Mm-hmm. And there must be some sort of ode to your grandmother, really. Mm-hmm. Um and connecting through that vibration yes, of voice. Yes. yes, definitely. Every time we'd go visit my grandma and my grandma would put her music on and you'd hear it down the street. Uh, <laughs> anytime the music would come on, my mom would just give me the eyes and I'd say, no, I don't want to. No, don't make me do it. Reluctantly, I would always do it because I love my mom and I saw how much it made her mom happy. And by her seeing her mom happy, it made her happy. So it's this like cycle of your daughter trying to make your mom happy. Mm. So I always reluctantly did it. And then I think that was probably the first time I did it without any, anybody telling me to do it. And, uh, mm. That was the moment that I really connected to how powerful a grito can be and how it can connect us, connect me to my grandmother, to my mom, to my grandmother's grandmother, grandmother's grandmother's grandmother, you know, um, Mm. through voice because of, like you said, the vibrations of my voice and how I can call to her and call to my ancestors. What are the benefits of expressing through puppets versus expressing through the human body alone? I think puppets allow me to open up my idea of what is possible. With just me being an actor, um, there was, I think, just a lot of limitations in the fact that I couldn't, you know, blow myself up and come back in the next scene. I could, you know, say like I couldn't just uh, do a backflip right now or, um, or, you know, have my arms flailing in the air, screaming down the street <laughs> um, because puppets really can get away and say pretty much anything. And they can be anything like puppets can be anything in our world. Like literally, uh, puppeteering is just, you know, endowing an object with life force. So, you know, the can of grapefruit sparkling water I'm drinking right now could be a puppet if I, you know, bring it to life. I think puppeteering makes me feel like the possibilities are endless and that's what excites me is is challenging my mind to, to think of, well, how could I rig this puppet to do this thing? And how can I bring this other character to life in a fun way? And also, just the idea of voicing characters and puppets. And I think I, I just grew up so much with the puppet content from like the 1980s and 1990s and also cartoons. Like, I mean, if we grew up with Ren and Stimpy, you're of a different breed, (laughs) you know? Um, And I just feel like so much of my aesthetic, I just love, love cartoony fun stuff. 
I was going to ask actually, what is the difference in terms of energetic vibration or intention when it comes to puppets versus illustration or cartoon? With puppetry and seeing puppets, it, it vibrates in a different way because it's actually something that is in our world. Like it's practical. It's practically practically done in camera. Somebody had to make that by hand throughout every step of the way. And then it has to go onto a hand to become come to life. And there's a lot of, of moments that puppets connect to our world by just interacting with objects that are in our world, you know, being able to touch something and it reacts and responds um, in a way that we is familiar to us because it's literally something that was not here before, but now it is. And now it's, it's trying to express itself in our environment Mm -hmm. where I think cartoons are amazing at creating their own world and their own language and their own rules pretty much Mm -hmm. where, you know, if a puppet tries to pick up an apple, (laughs) and you put it in the hand, you're going to see that it's actually holding the apple and there's something really, really special about that. You wear so many hats. You're an artistic director. You are a mother who births these new characters. You are an actress. You are a puppeteer. Like I feel like you play so many different parts. How are you able to manage all of those various hats? I think it's in my bones to wear a lot of hats and to be drawn to the creation of a thing and see it come to life. I am very much drawn to not just puppeteering, but to actually have these uh, moments of developing, moments of, of creative collaboration with artists to, to come up with what a puppet could be and then to actually go into designing a puppet and then go from designing to translating this design into real world fabrics and materials with my team and, and constantly collaborating with my team of what techniques to use, creating new techniques, how to, how to um, bring this design that's on a page to our world. And, and then from there being able to put that puppet on and, and see, see what comes to life and how it comes to life. It's always been in me to do a lot of things. Like I said, I over-prepared myself in high school for college. And that's how I feel like right now. I'm, I just, I just have no other choice. I think it's just what I love. I'll stay up, you know, and pull all nighters sometimes just to make sure that uh, a puppet's eyes are magical or, or that the facial features click. And it, it, I'm happy to do it because it's, it's my passion. It's what I love, you know? that the time flies by. Mm -mm. I was so keen on having you on and chatting on this podcast because the podcast is very much about people exploring their identity. And I feel like through the puppets that you bring to life, that you create and breathe life into, as you say, help people create a stronger relationship with their identity in a way that they wouldn't have been able to do just on their own, mm-hmm. a human being looking at the mirror. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of power in the art form of puppetry in that by putting on this puppet, it's not me per se, <laughs> just doing doing the things. It, the puppet made me do it. And that's a thing that a lot of puppeteers say in the puppet community. It's like, the puppet made me do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> because there is some something 
wonderful that happens when you do put out a puppet and you see it in a mirror and you, you allow the character to come through and it starts to click and come together. Um, then it becomes a thing that uh, is its own in a way. And, and to be free as an actor to translate all your instincts as an actor into an object and see that object just really say things that <laughs> you didn't even think it would say or that you would say, and it's just happening. And it's just, a, it's a, it's a wonderful moment. I was just thinking back to all the various puppets that I've seen. And obviously yeah. that's just even a portion of like the yeah. overall roster of your puppets. Yes. But, you know, some of the puppets that you've done are of actual human beings who exist in real life, but it's their puppet version. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah, so I was it. wondering if that's helped people express a different side of themselves or meet a different mm-hmm. side of themselves that they never mm-hmm. knew existed. So with likeness puppets, there is a sensibility of, of figuring out, well, how can I make this puppet be something that when they see it, they can really connect with it in a way that is like a, a miniature version of themselves and also um, allows them to see new possibilities in, in what is possible for a, a puppet to get away with. So in in the example of a black lady sketch show when we did the intro for season one um they were able to write these really outlandish wonderful vignettes for each puppet to be in and i think it really just allows the writers in the writers room to be free and open up their brain to think like oh my gosh we can push this scene even further because it's a puppet well let's do it and i love that i love when when I get asked to do things that are just pushing the art form of puppetry, because that's where I think puppets shine the most when they do things that we can't do ourselves or get away with ourselves in our world. Right, right, right. You were just mentioning that puppets kind of take on a life of its own. And so the puppet makes you do it. You know, the puppet (laughs) makes you say things or the puppet Mm -hmm. makes you act a certain way. Are there any times that you find Michelle appearing (laughs) yeah uh, definitely there's definitely times where maybe parts of myself that I'm not able to express in my day-to-day as a a mom and a business owner (laughs) that I can let you know fly when it comes to putting on the puppet yeah I definitely have these signature things that I do that are myself and and from me michelle in of the puppet and and for the most part every puppet is is a little piece of me from the way it looks to how it's come together to it being uh, on screen because it it definitely is is a thing that in the end i i find a way to infuse some part of myself within it whether it's you know a, a decision to add a little more fur little bangs or, or, um, you know, go in and just touch the eyes a little more to make them click. So, yeah. Mm-mm. In, in retrospect, what was your first encounter with puppets in your lifetime? You spoke a little bit about, you know, your, the fact that there were many, a puppet in like the eighties and nineties, and also you actually creating your own shows with your sister on the camcorder. But do mm-hmm. you know what that kind of initial memory is with pre-existing world of puppets hmm that's a good question because yeah i feel like all of us are introduced to puppetry 
through our dolls when we bring them to life, right? And put them in scenarios. But further from that, I feel like just the content that I was inundated with, right? Like even all the commercials that we had to sit through before we would be able to get back to the program. There were so many commercials growing up that were puppets. I went I went down the rabbit hole once of uh, deep diving into 1980s and 1990 commercials with puppets. And there's a lot, there's a lot of them. <laughs> and so I think, you know, Lamb Chops, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, Fraggle Rock, Pee Wee's Playhouse. I mean, we had so many gems of of puppet wonderfulness that was something that I was seeing on TV. And, you know, it definitely inspired me and it definitely made a mark because now, you know, <laughs> I, I uh, have a puppet business and that's all we do. Yeah. Was Alpha a pu- puppet? Oh, yeah. Oh. Alf was definitely a puppet. Yeah. Alf. There's so many. They just keep going. Um, and then, you know, Jim Henson, uh, right. knowing of Jim Henson and knowing of his work at a young age and hearing about his passing, all, all of that influenced me. And, um, and the labyrinth, I mean, that worm puppet, I is one of the puppets that you know inspired me the most when I saw that little worm come to life (laughs) I was like oh my gosh this is amazing this creature is amazing and it lives in our world because she's talking to it Mm -hmm. um so there was a a lot of moments I think of escapism and escaping into puppets and tv and the things that I would see and clearly um it left a mark that later in life was the whisper that I heard. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. As as a mother in 2022, particularly, um, I'm wondering what your what you've seen or what your thoughts are of pulling children out of like this digital space and into kind of more real and authentic and tangible play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how we can encourage that more with this with this new generation? Yeah, as a mom, I try to as best I can limit screen time, just because I I want to have my kids be able to play and um, just go outside and and pick flowers or you know go plant some seeds or you know run around and do other things because there's just so so many other possibilities that are out there in terms of play and I think I think it's it's important for for me anyways um, to find creative ways to bring my kids from streaming programming which is wonderful and 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 like I said it it impacted me so much it's uh it's just I have noticed being able to allow them to express themselves like in the puppet shop just today we were just sitting on a blanket in the front yard and that was just special in the way that my one-year-old could just look up and see birds. Being able to find ways to maybe have some sort of uh, merging of, of worlds. Like, I think, you know, my, my daughter has, it's called an Osmo. And it's where she could put her iPad there. And it, it um, kind of takes her through these programs where she can actually hold pieces and code with them. Or tangibly have a marker on a board and it's telling her to draw 
a, a bathtub. And then the camera takes her drawing from the, the tablet and puts it onto the screen. So in a way, it's, it's a way to merge the two with being able to have and, and understand the tangible world and the digital world. It's going to be interesting to see where puppetry falls within that as well. And how to, like I said, keep our, our hands really connected to tangible, real, and, our, and our, ourselves as well. Mm. Well, speaking of a collaboration between the the tangible world and the in the virtual world, we met at a time where travel was still possible, and yes. waffles and mochi were traveling the world. And it just happened to be that when that program launched, people weren't able to travel, and yeah. and so kids and adults were traveling through the lens of mochi and waffles yeah. in a way that maybe we couldn't have imagined when we were actually in production of that show. Um, Definitely, yeah. Yeah, like what sort of feedback have you received in terms of kind of getting away, Mm -hmm. getting away and having this sense of like freedom to travel through through the characters? I think when when the show came out, it was definitely uh, a, a moment that everybody needed, I think, because we were all told we can't go anywhere. We were all told you should stay home. And um, and there was a lot of things that we were told that we can't do anymore. We're, I, I, me, myself, I was mourning the loss of my old life <laughs> because, you know, there was a lot of things that I'll never be able to do the same again. And there was a lot of, of uh, letting a go of that. But also, yeah, even when I was able to watch the show for the first time, and I needed that. I needed to escape again. <laughs> I needed to feel like the freedom that we had, um, like I said, our old lives was was that being able to, you know, travel to Italy and puppeteer on the streets, but not wear a mask. It's definitely a timepiece being able to see a lot of the scenes with um, the way life was before before the pandemic. And when it came out, I think a lot of my friends... <laughs> kept telling me, oh my gosh, it was just so nice to see a, a puppet travel, <laughs> a travel show and being able to escape with them. Mm-mm, yes. And what I found so interesting is that because the program was on Netflix and simultaneously available in multiple languages all across the world, Mochi and Waffles spoke very different languages and that's possible because they're puppets yes yes and yeah and i loved that playful interaction between human beings and the puppets through this these other languages too that's so fascinating that you bring that up because i never thought about it that till now um how so many like so many kids across the world were able to hear the show. I mean, I, I thought about that part of it, but the, the part I didn't think about it was um, all the, all the, all of the talent that played waffles all over the world and was basically taking the cues from mm, my performance and infusing themselves within this character. So she is just able to reach so many, so many kids and so many families all across the world like that. 
I think at the time I wasn't able to really understand the importance of it because I was at home, stuck at home and we were in, you know, lockdown pretty much. So the idea that the, the, the reach and the scope of, of the show, um, it was hard to really understand the process. My quietest heart wishes to the moon come to me in ways that I don't expect sometimes. And, but it's all a part of her grand plan. <laughs> yeah. I literally am so connected to the moon and, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Cause you'll look up at the moon and I know that we're connected and, um, there's something so beautiful when I look up at, at the moon and yeah, I have this like connection where I'm like, okay, I get it. All right. <laughs> I have these conversations with, with her because it's just so something that ties us all together are the universal things that we all can see when we look up at the sky, the stars, you know, yes. the moon. Yes. The sun. And it helps us to remember to yield to it instead of fight against it. Yes, yes. Um, a lot of where I'm at now uh, and have been trying to get to is just being like water, like just going with and allowing and and also um, allowing for for everything that is coming my way, you know, and just figuring it out, breathing along the way, definitely breathing. <laughs> but um we're definitely in the uh, exciting, exciting, fun hustle times right now. <laughs> so such a hustle. It's amazing. This fruit of yours, this fruit that is puppeteering, like where would you like to see it go from here? And what stage is it at? Like, is it in its pre-ripe form? Is it like at its peak? Like, where would you like to see it grow and evolve? Is it going to make a pie? Like, where are we going? <laughs> Let's make a puppet pie. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't ever feel like what I am creating and what we're doing here with Viva La Puppet and, and, you know, specifically with my career as a puppeteer and uh, a puppet creator is ever going to be done, like hit the peak because there's just so much possibilities for projects. And we're so project based that, Every time I get a new email or phone call, I get so excited because it is that beginning, you know, the development, creation, performance, and then there is an end. And it's all beautiful and wonderful as it comes into our lives. To say that there'll be a peak one day, I feel, I hope, my hope is that there will never be a peak. There will always be more and new and Viva the Puppet will well, outlives me, just like my puppets. <laughs> just like our puppets, our puppets will outlive us um, as long as the foam stays intact. <laughs> but where where we're at right now, where with Viva La Puppet and and with me, I feel like I'm in the where the where the little buds kind of are uh, mm. bursting and about to burst. Like it's in that phase of like there's definitely some some buds that are bursting, <laughs> and then there's definitely a lot of buds that are just starting and a lot of buds that are in development and <laughs> and even with myself as a person and a mom uh, a boss <laughs> I feel like I am I'm in that phase as well of of really coming into my own and 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 like I said allowing my grito to be as loud and vibrant and full of life as I am um, on the outside. So, yeah.
Yes. I couldn't say, have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story, Michelle. This was really, really such an honor. This was such a wonderful podcast. Thank you for having me. I, it definitely has given me a lot of questions and I'm very, I'm very excited for, um, for our future. Thank you for listening to this episode. I would love any and all feedback as well as suggestions for future guests. Please email me anytime. My email address can be found on my website, momokonakamura.com.